Oh, indeed. Good morning. Welcome to the awakening. Are you awake? It's Super Bowl Sunday. You better be awake, right? Woo! I wore neutral colors today. I thought that would probably be appropriate. I guess they're sort of Packer colors for those of you still grieving that loss two weeks ago. You know, it is a big game day, but I was just thinking there as we were celebrating the Lord Jesus Christ being raised from the dead. There it was one powerful victory 2,000 years ago, and that's the reason we're still here today is because Jesus Christ defeated the adversary, and Jesus Christ is in the process of making all things right because he was raised from the dead on your behalf and mine. We're going to look at that more here this morning. Well, if you're new this morning, I want to say a special welcome to you. My name is Carrie, and as the lead pastor, we just get a chance to interact and be a community and a family on Sunday morning, so thanks for being a part in your seat backs are some little cards, square cards, called connection cards. And if you'd fill those out, we'd love to know a little bit more about you. And if you have any uh, prayer concerns, we receive those. And the prayer team prays for those during the week. In fact, everybody, I really encourage you to just list your prayer concerns there as we sort of build the prayer team. Uh, We met again this morning at 9.30. If anybody would like to be a part of the prayer team, back by the cross, just praying for today and praying for our community. And uh, so keep that on your radar. Uh, We receive those connection cards at the end of the service when we receive the Lord's tithes and offerings. There's some announcements that are on your post, and uh, just some heads up just to try to get registered or engaged with that. We've got the Valentine's um, banquet concert, dinner concert coming up in a couple weeks. Men, set on your radar. It's important. And I encourage you to sign up for that, and uh, uh, there's a fee for that, so you can do that out at the information uh, stand. There's also retreats for men coming up. There's the youth retreat coming up. You want to give an announcement on that, Herb? You're, that's right, man. We're going to go to good men's group. And uh, we uh, just invite you to stay engaged, uh, maybe through your small group if you're not in a group. But uh, this is only one of seven days that we enjoy community together to encourage one another to grow in our faith and to seek God out wherever we're at on our spiritual journey. So I think uh, anything else you need to know is probably on that postcard. I want to encourage you, if you do have prayers, concerns that you'd like to have prayed for afterwards you can gather back by the cross and some people from our prayer team would be more than glad to pray for any particular need you have will you stand with me take a few moments greet those around you and give your prediction for later today's game unfortunately i think the tendency for christ followers is that the longer you walk with god the more your relational world is inhabited by other Christ followers. It's not necessarily a bad thing, it's just how it works. And uh, even some statistics would indicate that if you've been a Christian 5, 10, 15 years, you barely cross paths anymore with someone who's far from God. Uh, You watch Christian television, listen to Christian radio, you uh, go to Christian events, you're involved in church work, and pretty soon it's just the totality of your existence. And so I have always felt I have to get a bit more intentional about making sure that I have proximity to people who are far from God. And I still argue the case that one of the best ways to do that is to find what your recreational passion is and then try to pursue it in the context of a group of people who aren't uh, filled with faith yet. And because then you have the unifying factor of the recreational passion that you all enjoy And if the Holy Spirit is alive and well in you, over time, the Spirit's work in and through your life will probably open some doors to uh, further spiritual conversations. 
usually when I'm in the process of my everyday life and I'm looking at the people around my world, I think to myself, you know, I should be developing friendships. That's what I think Christ followers do. And in the context of developing friendships, I think I should probably, before I say what's on my mind, I should discover the stories of the people that I'm developing friendships with. I mean, their lives, their backgrounds, their pain, what they've been through matters. I mean, it matters to God. It ought to matter to me. And then all I want to do is discern what a next step would be. Uh, How can I contribute to their life? How can I add value? Not just spiritual value. How can I add practical value? How how can I serve them in, in some way that would honor God and help them? I try to remind people who are serious about evangelism that even beneath the value of evangelism is the value of love, radically accepting love. And uh, you will not go wrong. Heaven will never be disappointed if the bottom line value is love. I think what uh, Dave is doing with his life these days is like the ultimate irony. I mean, here's a guy who never went to church in his adult life, and he spends 40 or 50 hours every week trying to serve churches uh, who are outreach-oriented and uh, trying to reach guys like he was. And when I see him counseling pastors these days, I want to crack up laughing. Uh, because this is a guy I had to drag out of party tents and and uh, just had a whole bunch of uh, vivid memories with uh, in his pre-Christian days. And how God's using him now is one of the great joys of my life. Well, that's a little bit of a recap video of last week if you were here. Uh, Bill Hybels in this series we've entitled Just Walk Across the Room sharing out of his heart how he goes about being able to reach and encourage people with the love of God. Got a little choked up there, didn't Bill? And uh, that was Soup, and uh, that was Soup's testimony from last week. And just to see a little bit of recap there, to see that he's serving God and doing what Bill said, being able even to reach out to pastors. Just walk across the room. Week three. Are you getting weary of this yet? Hopefully not. I hope it's inspirational. I continue to get a lot of affirmation of people saying, you know, God just really stirred in my heart to think about ways that I can encourage others and love on people and and get involved in the story of their life and lead them to the story of God. But we've talked about walking across the room as leaving your circle of comfort. And he mentioned there about how if you've been walking with God for a number of years, you end up into this cocooning kind of world. In fact, we talked about it as men's group yesterday morning at 7 a.m. The cocooning network where you really just have touch with people that already know God. Yeah, there's people maybe that are far from God around, but they're, they're not really in your inner circle of connectedness. And so you need to leave this cocooning process, your circle of comfort, and start to come more connected with others that God wants to be able to encourage. And they can become great friends in your life. And so you walk into the zone of the unknown, and in the zone of the unknown, you never know what's going to happen. Now, we can do the pep rally, the cheering, just like we can do for cheering for the Super Bowl. Let's get at it. Let's do this. But I am mindful that you're deer in the headlights, concerned, fearful, like, really, do you want me to, me, me? You know, I'm an introvert. I I could not do that. Well, 
we are going to unpack a little bit about what to do as you walk into the zone of the unknown. Last week, with the recap, it was called 3D Living. And the three Ds were very simple. You're going to develop friendships by engaging in the lives of people around you, your natural networks. You don't need to go down the street or door to door. May God may call you to do that or interact with some people that maybe you haven't taken an initiative with. But just develop friendships with people that are living around you. Second is to discover stories. Before sharing your own story and God's redemptive story, and we're going to be looking at that today, you need to discover their story. And then you discern next steps through the prompting of the Holy Spirit as to what he wants you to do in becoming more engaged and connected in their life. I want you to see another example of this in the life of Jesus. If you've got your scriptures this morning, there's a passage in Mark 3. And in Mark 3, this is from the New Living Translation, Jesus heals a man with a withered or decrepit hand. Jesus went into the synagogue again and noticed a man with a deformed or withered hand. Since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. Would he heal the man's hand on the Sabbath? If he did, they planned to condemn him. Jesus said to the man, come and stand in front of everyone. And Mark 3, 4 says then, Then he turned to his critics and asked, Is it legal to do good deeds on the Sabbath, or is it a day for doing harm? Is this a day to save life or to destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. He looked around at them angrily because he was deeply disturbed by their hard hearts. Then he said to the man, Reach out your hand. The man reached out his hand and it became normal again. At once the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to discuss plans for killing Jesus. Wild world our Lord lived in. A very religiously heated, legalistic, rule-following world. Can you imagine the Pharisees who were a little bothered by Jesus showing up on the scene, right? And Jesus was teaching that he was the fulfillment of the law and everything in the Old Testament. And they're like, we got to do this guy in. And so they went out. They're probably finding, hey, here's a guy who, who has a withered hand. You know, hey, buddy, this is your lucky day. You know, we're going to take you to the synagogue. And Jesus, the miracle healer, is teaching there today. And so they were trying to set a trap for Jesus to heal on the Sabbath because one of the rules were you didn't work on the Sabbath. And if you healed somebody, that's work. And so they drug the guy in. They put him on the front row right there. Jesus is teaching away, and he's noticing an old time withered hand. What does Jesus do? He knows there's a trap going on, and he chooses to step right into it because he's tired of playing church. He's tired of the religious riffraff going on. And he has come to give life and give it to the full. That's his message. And so he takes the opportunity. The man with the withered hand, and it says this in the message translation. In verse 5, he looked them in the eye, one after another, angry, furious at their hard-nosed religion. He said to the man, hold out your hand. He held it out, and it was good as new. Good as new. Now, can you see Jesus following up with the guy afterwards? The scuttlebutt all started to happen, and the Pharisees, they went into plot. They're like, hey, hey, he did it wrong. He did it wrong. And it starts to set in motion the whole trajectory of Jesus being killed on the cross. 
But can you see him coming up to Jesus afterwards? Hey, man, it's good to meet you. Stick out your hand. Hey, healthy, good, right? You know, what, what are you, you going to do now that, 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 your, that your hands heal? I, I don't know. Maybe learn to play the piano, guitar, some other things I was never able to do. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. He says, but boy, it seemed a little tense in here with what was going on. What, like, what's, what's the backstory? What's happened? Is everything okay? What, what are you going to do? And Jesus does what? <laughs> Forget it. Don't worry. No problem. You go your way. I've come to make broken people whole. Jesus is still about the business of making broken people whole. He's still about the business of taking withered hands and withered lives, withered careers, withered ambitions, withered families, withered relationships, and making them whole. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. I don't know if you noticed yesterday a very sad story in the news here that uh, Whitney Houston's daughter, Bobby Christina Brown, was found unresponsive, face down in a bathtub. Just like her mother, three years ago, I think this month. And they say that it's not looking good. Those that are close. To some people, they probably say you saw that coming. Isn't that sad and tragic? What do you do with sadness and tragedy? Like, well, you pray for her. You pray that there would be a recovery. You pray that the people around her or maybe the, the medical process is she's in a coma right now. But I tell you what. When you say you see something like that coming, it's like, well, there was brokenness in her mother's life in the family. And she, because of her dad and other things, you would say, well, yeah, there's, there's a lot of confusion there. Really crazy world that she was probably in. Whatever led her to that place or whatever happened, we know not. But friends, there's brokenness around you and I all the time. Withered hands. And maybe... Maybe they're seated right there in front of you. Maybe they're out along the highways and the byways and somebody needs to bring them to you or you need to go find them. But as we looked about the last couple of weeks, there's nothing better than being involved in seeing people's brokenness healed and transformed. And all we're saying with this just to walk across the room kind of rally call for us as a church whether you've been here for a while, maybe you're new this morning or long term, is like, hey, are you in? Let's make our life truly at the awakening about seeing people become awakened to be fully alive in Christ and to his mission. And so I just encourage us with that. And you see story after story of Jesus and Jesus encounters people in different ways and how he reaches out. There's a formula um, that I want to put up here on the screen. I know you see that and you go, really, algebra this morning, Carrie, really? I think it's very important for us if we're in to see people's lives awakened, to see witheredness made whole, that we need to understand not a process, not a system, not a creed, but we need to have a general understanding of the movement of things in someone else's life and what needs to be happening in our life. And so we have this formula up here, HP plus CP plus CC equals MI. 
This formula comes from a book by Mark Middleberg uh, and Heibel's uh, called Contagious Christianity, and, and I've carried it with me for a number of years as well. And let's walk through this. Uh, HP stands for this, high potency. High potency. If you want to have an impact on seeing brokenness healed and transformation happen around you, people becoming fully alive, then there needs to be some potency in your life. Now, what I mean by that, high potency doesn't mean that you're on top of the spiritual world and you got your act together. Because what high potency is, is that you just need to be the real deal as a Christian. And as a real deal person, as a Christian, you need to be authentic and true. There needs to be some trajectory that you're on. It doesn't mean that you're on the top of the hill and you're operating at a uh, level of a 9 to 10 out of a scale of 10. Uh, In fact, some of your best impact on people happens when? When you're in the valleys of life and brokenness yourself. But you have to be the real deal. And there has to be some potency about your pursuit of God and your understanding of what God's trying to do in your life and in our world and other people's life. So HP, you have high potency. And if you don't have high potency in your life right now, this morning, then I encourage you to focus some on that. Get back to some of the disciplines in your life that can make you stronger as a believer. If you're not a believer and you want to have an impact on people as it concerns maybe the God thing, then I encourage you to consider what it means to have a relationship with God and to come into the real deal with him. So HP plus CP. CP stands for close proximity. That's why we're saying leave the circle of comfort, go into the zone of the unknown, find and discover friendships. You have to be close to individuals in order to make an impact. So be mindful of the cocooning thing that happens naturally in our lives and work at being connected. Close proximity. And close proximity doesn't mean that you're breathing over somebody, watching them all the time, all right? In fact, I encountered a situation this last couple of weeks in a, a, a elementary middle school situation. It's like, oh, I just don't want them following me around, right? It's like, doesn't mean you're following them around. That's not what close proximity means. It may just mean that you're transparent with them to let them know that you're praying for them or that you're nearby or maybe you're jumping in to help them out and do something. You're going out and having fun. You're getting on a sailboat, whatever it may be, right? So close proximity. And then CC stands for clear communication. At some point, after you take your real deal life, and you journey along with someone else in close proximity, and you're encouraging them, and you're getting to know them, and you're doing things together, you're serving them. At some point, if you want to make an impact in their life, they need to meet and understand who Jesus is, the resurrected Jesus. And you're going to have to open your mouth. Oh, my goodness. That's where I get in trouble, Carrie. I don't know what to say, or I say the wrong thing. Well, we're on this journey together. And believe it or not, it's not maybe as difficult as you might made it up to be, to be a witness or someone who has a heart to do evangelism. Clear communication, though, means that verbal testimony and identifying with what God's doing. And we're going to camp on the CC thing here for today. MI, then, equals maximum impact. Maximum impact. If you want to impact your world, if you want to see withered hands healed, withered lives healed, if you want to be engaged in what God's doing big picture, then you need to have high potency, close proximity, and clear communication. So, with that little formula there, are you still in? Game on? We're going to make it happen? Let's focus on it. Which one of those three maybe do you need to work with in order to have maximum impact? Now, with that, 
What we're going to do is take the clear communication and we're going to talk today about the power of story. The power of story. And with the power of story, we're going to build a three-story building. And I want this to be embedded clearly in your mind as you're walking, as you're engaging, as you're helping, as you're encouraging, all right? As you're seeking to have maximum impact, dial in to the three-story building. The bottom level story is their story. Their story. You're not going to be yakking away about your own life. Learn how to ask really good questions. There's something called PQT. I was going to put it up here, but that would be another formula to get confused with. PQT stands for prior question of trust. Is what I'm doing, thinking, saying, building trust or undermining trust? PQT. Is what I'm doing, thinking, or saying, building trust or undermining trust? And so as you're engaged in this friendship that you've developed or are developing, you're then going to discover their story. And discovering their story doesn't mean you pull up a chair and say, okay, now spill your beans. What's going on? No, you may get a little bit piece here, their story, some piece there, another time out. And you start to connect it. You have to be reminded of again, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been, what, here a year working and getting to know many of your guys' stories. And I need to hear them over and again sometimes because, oh, yeah, oh, that now I remember. But if you're going to get to know their story, their life's journey and search for fulfillment, then you're going to have to park and spend some time there. All right? Now, that's a part of 3D living. But the power of story today and clear communication that we're focused on moves to the next story. Their story gives you some opportunities, maybe, whether they ask or you see the inroad to talk about your story. Your story of personal salvation and hope for change in your life. Are you able to share your story very well when the moment comes? I love how Bill Hybels and his team interact on this whole subject matter. And uh, so watch this as they engage us on the second story there, your story, and how to engage. Everybody loves a story, a personal story. It's just kind of that human interest thing that we all tend to respond to very well. So uh, if someone in a relational context at a party or any other place says, hey, you want to hear a story about the time I did this or this thing happened to me, my reaction to that is, tell me your story. I'd, I'd love to hear it. Well, let's be very clear about something. It's quite possible to tell your faith story in a terrible way. <laughs> I mean, in a way that makes people want to run for the doors. And uh, I've been in many settings where people didn't know who I was and they wanted to tell me their faith story. And as I was listening to some folks tell me their faith story, I remember thinking, if I weren't a Christian, I'd become an avowed non-Christian after hearing your story. Stories get derailed in, in a number of different ways. Here's the thing. I didn't realize how screwed up I was until I met this guy at the train station. But before I get to that, I, I've got to give you a little bit about my background. 
almost every faith story that has been told to me has been way longer than it should have been. Sometimes I think my clothing is going to go out of fashion by the time they finish the story. Even after that, I still had a wild and crazy upbringing. Take my school bus rides, for example. Get to the point. Why did you pursue a faith experience? What happened? What's changed? And mercifully end the story. You know, someone can always ask you a follow-up question. You know, I met my wife there. She was a real looker. Do not oversupply and kill the demand. I think I've always believed in something, or wanted to believe in something. I think humans have a deep need to believe. You know, there's a longing for significance and meaning. Unlike the animal kingdom, you know, dogs and apes and gerbils. <laughs> Another thing that just drives me crazy is when someone is telling me their faith story and they're not clear. They go on and on and I go, in my mind, I, I say to myself, well, be specific. What did actually happen? But we've got this spirit force in us that's longing to be tapped and set free. Shoot straight. Make it clear to me so that when you're done with your story, I, I kind of know the deal. I know the facts. I, I know exactly what you went through. If you fuzz around the whole thing, uh, th there's really no clarity for me to, to reckon with after you're done with your story. This guy comes up and sits right next to me and starts talking to me. I mean, you don't talk to people on the train that you don't know, right? <laughs> I pray all the time now. I pray for friends like you, you know, whose, whose lives are going nowhere. I pray for understanding that God will help me know what's wrong with people so that you know, I can be a lifesaver for them. If a story starts with any air of superiority, I'm done. I don't want to listen to it. I'm giving up a storm. <laughs> yeah, just ask my kids. Uh, they'll say that you know I am the primo dad of the universe. Let's ask my church. Ask them who donated the money for the new wing. If a person starts out saying, well, obviously, you know, I kind of know something that you don't, and I've experienced something that you haven't, and I know the right way, and you probably don't. Again, as the listener, I'm done. I don't need you being superior to me, and uh, most people really don't like the feeling of being demeaned or devalued. Uh, wait, where, where was I? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, my school bus driver. So, anyway. Thou shalt also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord, a royal diadem in the hand of God. Thou shalt no longer be termed forsaken. When I hear someone tell a faith story and it's filled with religious terminology, I really wonder if they've thought through the, um, the condition of the listener. Does that listener really understand the terms that we get familiar with in uh, religious circles? Thou shalt be called Hesphapa, <laughs> and thy land... Beulah, the Lord delighted in thee.
I think we have to work much harder to describe our faith story using the kind of terms that everybody uses in regular everyday conversation. Now, it takes discipline to do that. And I often encourage people to actually write out their faith story, word for word, not to commit it to memory, but to expunge the religious jargon from it. But he says he's going to buy me a ticket. And who turns down a free ticket, right? So I go, and I had a great time. You know, I mean, uh, there was no, no drugs, no booze. <laughs> You know, somewhere in the Bible it talks about being nice to strangers because you don't know. They could be angels. Oh, yeah, that's happened to me. And whatever you do, do not tell your weird God story when you're communicating your faith story to someone else. I mean, all of us have some bizarre thing that's happened to us that we think maybe God arranged. We saw stars that were aligned in a certain way and saw a cross or... You know, I've heard a hundred weird God stories. I was in Starbucks once talking to a person. I paid my bill, turned around, he was gone. Now that was an angel. It had a huge impact on me. Oh, and our dreams. Oh, I have lots of dreams. You can tell them in closed session among Christ followers. Okay, don't lead with that card when you're describing your faith to someone who has no faith. And you've got to pay attention to that because God is speaking to you. He's reaching out to you right in the middle of the night. It's just bizarre. It, it's not the central thrust of the Christian message that we're trying to communicate. So you know what I ended up doing? Flipping burgers at 22 years old. And what the heck am I doing? You know, I used to ask myself that question every night. And what the heck am I doing? Uh, what, what, where am I going with my life? What's, what's life about anyway? You know what I mean? Stop. I've had enough. <laughs> no more stories like that. Stories can be powerful if they're told right. Stories like that can do more harm than good. We can do better. I think when someone's telling a faith story, what the listener wants to know is, um, what were you like before your religious experience happened, what kind of led up to that, what was the experience, and how did it change you? So it really is kind of the classic before and after. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament, when he was put on trial for being a Christian, for spreading his faith, he just looked at the people in the jury box, if you will, and he said, Here's what I was like. Here's the kind of man I was. Prideful and uh, overly aggressive, mean-spirited. I was out to wreck people. I met Jesus Christ in a personal, powerful way. And that old person is gone now. And here's the work that Christ is doing in my life now. And he just silenced the whole court. Before Christ, I'm a new man now. When the opportunity arises for me to tell my story, I just say it very simply. I grew up thinking that I had to perform and achieve and impress a God who I knew I had disappointed. But there was never a sense of when I had done enough, performed enough, achieved enough for God. And then I stumbled into the story of grace. 
I found out that what Christ did for me on the cross was enough for me to be made right with God. And when I learned that and opened my life up to it, the peace that passes human understanding, I mean, it's hard to describe, came flooding into my life. And uh, I've been living differently, experiencing life differently ever since. A well-told story can be a powerful tool in pointing people to faith. For some people, the story is materialism, greed, money, Christ. Then it's generosity, love, serving. I was all about the next deal. I only bothered with personal relationships when they could further my career. Somehow, though, I got introduced to Jesus Christ and my priorities went haywire. Everything turned upside down, which really surprised my wife and kids. After all these years, I'm finally getting it right. Did you hear how clear that was? Just before, Christ, after. For some people, it's image, uh, beauty, um, wanting to be the center of attention. Then it's Christ, and then it's giving of yourself to others and being less wound up in yourself. A 40-year-old cheerleader isn't all that appealing. It's actually obnoxious, but that's who I'd become. But then a girlfriend of mine took a chance and gave me a book. It's about finding your identity in God. That shattered my whole world and changed all my ideas about what life was really about. It's such a shift for me. But I finally feel like the real me is surfacing. Brevity. Just saying it and ending it. Let people ask follow-up questions, but, oh, be brief. For other people, it's like hatred and uh, internal firestorm of anxiety and all of that. Christ and then love of another kind. I was angry at everything, everybody, including God. The way I figured it, the world owed me big time, and I wasn't getting my due. After finding Christ, though, an amazing thing happened. My new Christian friend showed me real love and compassion. And for the first time, I was able to be real with people. Humility. It just disarms people. The, the, the genuineness of a story told from the heart. Who can argue with that? But whatever it is, you got to relive what, it, what, it, what really happened to you. What was leading up to the faith experience and how are you different on the other side? I think um, we make it more difficult than we need to sometimes. Before, Christ, and after. And the after is not perfect. All right? Just like some of you probably say, well, I don't know how much of a story because of the before story. I wasn't some, like, you know, deep sinner. Well, every one of us has a story. There's something about how God orchestrated your life, whether you knew it or not, what they brought, them, brought you into. In fact, I was very mindful that I might not have one of those personal stories about God's saving grace. But I have a great story about God's keeping grace in the home I was brought up in, the influences I had around me. And subtly, over the years, 
God began to speak into my life that he had a plan for me and that this keeping grace was something I needed to personalize and receive him. And not only receive him as my forgiver and leader in life, but to be able to submit my life to whatever his calling might be. And so I can go through my story at different junctures and articulate how God began to work in my life to the place I'm at now where he's continuing to work in my life. Here's my assignment for you this week. Assignment? Yeah. We already did the algebra. You're good. Clear communication. CC. Can you articulate your story on one sheet of paper? I'll even give you an 8.5 by 11 sheet. Write it out. Type it out. What is your story? If I actually had you come up here next week and say, tell your story, would it be a fuzzy story? Would it be a religion ease kind of story? All right? Would you be able to articulate a clear, succinct story of where you've been, what Christ has been doing, and now what's happening? Even if you haven't crossed over the line of Christ coming into your life and being the leader of your life yet, you have a story that's going on. I think that's the cool thing. It's not like anybody's out on this. God's working in all of our lives to be able to bring us not only into relationship with him, but to bring us in, as we're going to look about in a second, into his grander story. We would like to do, as a church, some cardboard stories. Do you know what a cardboard story is? You'll find out, hopefully. If you would like to succinctly put your story before and after on a simple piece of cardboard, and you'd be willing to stand up in front of us, write story on the back of your connection card. All right? So pull one out, write story on the back of your connection card, and we're going to have some stories here about what God's doing, and you don't even have to say anything. You can just give witness to what God's doing in your life. Good? Story. We start with their story as we engage and we're building friendships. Then we're able to articulate our story. But there's another step that I want us to consider. And this step um, sort of, it comes about because I got upset this week. You ever have something upset you that causes you to change things? So I am adding the third story into this talk today. The third story is there. I thought maybe I have it as a separate story. We really could go on for a long, I mean, a, a separate um, message and go on for a while with it. But uh, I came across an article this week. Uh, some of you are familiar with Newsboys. You guys have got a Newsboys band. God's not dead. He's still alive, right? Uh, prior church I was at, we had the Newsboys in concert. It was packed out. Newsboys is a great Christian band, all right? They've been around for a long time. They've gone through a lot of transitions, all right? But one of their original members this week, I don't know why it came out this week and some of the things I came across because this happened all the way back in 07 in his life, but one of the original <laughs> members of this Christian band articulated to everybody that he was now an atheist. And you're like, really? How does that happen? How does that happen? So I got my dander up a little bit. Is that a Midwest term? I still haven't figured that out. Um, I got anxious, upset, going, why does that happen, first of all? Why is that news if it happened in 07 and now, and the guy hasn't been in the band for 20 years? What's the purpose of this? 
And so the article was articulating that one of the original founding members of the band, he had been uh, influenced a lot by Richard Dawkins and some other atheists and that kind of thing. And so he was uh, coming out, if you will, and declaring that he was now an atheist. In fact, this was uh, part of the tweet or part of the uh, article. It says this. His name is uh, George Perdiscus, and uh, he's claiming that he's an atheist. He says, I always felt uncomfortable with the strict rules imposed by Christianity. All I wanted to do was create and play rock and roll, and yet most of the attention I received was focused on how well I maintained the impossible standards of religion. I wanted my life to be measured by my music, not by my ability to resist temptation. Now, that's sort of loaded. I would like to sit down with him and unpack that. I would like to know, you know exactly if he's read about some other people as it relates to a belief in God, those kinds of things. But what is happening sometimes when we see, and maybe you're in that boat this morning, where you've had a faith, you believe in God, even follow for Jesus. But if, if you were to be asked right now, man, the, the doubts, and we all have doubts, but the doubts are really weighing up there and the way that you want to go, you're just saying, I'm done. I'm done. I'm not, I'm not going that God route anymore. This is weighing on me a lot, especially as I age and I develop as a pastor. What is it that's happened with the message and the ministry of God with people in the American Western culture that causes us to have one foot in, one foot out, ride the fence, however you want to describe it. And this is, I think, part of our challenge. We're not moving to the third story. We're not moving through the third story. There is your story. There is my story. But then there is his story. His story. What God's doing in the world. And so I put the third story up there. His story, the gospel of the kingdom and the resurrected Jesus. Some of you probably wonder, why did we, uh, you know, a, a number of months ago now, again, maybe it was a number of months ago. I think time moves by or, or doesn't. But we walked through the whole kingdom of God thing. And we had the chart and some other diagrams talking about the kingdom of God. Well, the heart of why we weigh into that is so that we as Christians do not have a following Jesus kind of moment that's just sort of like fire insurance. So we get into heaven and then we go our merry way. But to understand that we are being called into a grander story, his epic of what he is doing in this world. And as we participate in his story and get to understand more about his story, I believe it anchors us much better than some um, flimsy kind of feel-good moment where, yes, God did something in my life, but now I'm on to the next thing. And, yeah, um, you know, like the, the ex-band member said there, I was just tired of all the religion and the rules and, and uh, focus. I wanted to be focused more on my music than the temptations. Something has happened to the great story of Jesus Christ that's been a reductionistic kind of movement that has reduced it down into, I like how a guy by the name of N.T. Wright puts it, it's been reduced down into good advice rather than good news. And the good advice is, yeah, Jesus can help you. He can forgive you of your sins. You can... Um, uh, have him maybe with you, help you out in life, and then he comes again and you get to go to heaven, and uh, it's sort of a better way to live. 
And we have moved away from what Scripture talks about as the good news or the gospel. The gospel has been reduced to merely being a plan of salvation. Now, it is a plan of salvation, but the gospel is far grander than a mere plan of salvation. And so what we have a lot in American churches is we have a whole subject matter such as evangelism, witness, just walk across the room and we're telling you, do clear communication. Do you have a plan how to share with someone to come to know Christ? All that's very important. We may even look at that. But unless you move to the third level, to understanding his story, I think you are in danger sometimes, definitely in danger of having a um, less potent kind of faith and journey in this life. But you are in sometimes in danger of growing weary because you are then carrying your faith rather than your faith carrying you. You know what the difference is? Probably one of the best analogies for this, I can't remember if I used it before, is A.W. Toaster talk about a guy with, with a, uh, the hobby horse thing, the pogo horse, what do you call those things? Right? What is it? Pogo stick or what a horse, right? And so you have a little kid running around with his horse, right? And he's all excited. Look, Mom, I'm riding a horse. Look at me. Oh, isn't that cute? Look at my little kid riding a little horse. He thinks he's riding a horse. If you had an adult running around your house going, Hey, look at me. I'm riding a horse. Are you serious? See, what's the deal? The deal is this. The little kid's playing and living as if the horse is carrying him. But in reality, he is carrying the horse. If your salvation is just about your personal story, if your gospel is just about how to come to know Jesus and wait around and twiddle your thumbs and wait for God's uh, bringing an end to this time and go to heaven... You will find yourself over the years carrying your faith. But if you move to the third story, understanding his kingdom story and the full redemption of what God's doing in this world, it'll begin to carry you in ways you could never dream. It's called the gospel. It was the word used for good news. What the New Testament is about is about the gospel, communicating the gospel. In fact, you would find it hard-pressed to see Jesus come and articulate a plan for salvation. You hear him talk about a new day. Same way with the Apostle Paul, though he gets much more articulate about justification, forgiveness of your sins, and that's all a part of his story. But it was much grander than that. The gospel was an announcement of good news that an event has happened that's going to change the trajectory of life as we know it, personally as well as globally. Say, for instance, you were in a Starbucks and you're eating with, uh, having uh, some coffee with a couple friends, and all of a sudden the door slams open. And in walks this guy that goes, good news, I got great news, I got good news. Now, scenario one, we're like, what's this guy bugging us? What's the deal going on? Scenario number one could be, well, maybe uh, they've just found um, some medication or a healing or a surgery for his daughter 
and she's now going to live. Now, that would be good news. But you don't know the guy. So why are you declaring this to us? Why aren't you with your families? Scenario number two. Good news, great news. We beat our arch rivals in football. Right? See, you're part of a community. Well, that would be great news, good news. Maybe you hadn't one long time beat that arch rivals. But then part of you would be saying, why is he busting in the door? And not out with where everybody's at from the game celebrating. Right? How about scenario number three? Say, for instance, some corporation just announced that they're bringing, you know, 3,000 jobs into the valley. People that are out of work, and this is going to be accessible. People, are, That's great news for maybe a valley or an area that's been struggling, right? And so that, that's good news to hear. But then you're starting to contemplate, well, what does this good news really mean to me, and does it play into my life? Well, we're not taking the time this morning to read through what uh, Bill Hybels actually gave reference to, which was the Apostle Paul in Acts 26 He gave his personal story before King Agrippa. I encourage you to read this chapter and see where the Apostle Paul talks about his story before, Christ, after, but he puts it in the context of the much greater good news about what God's doing in this world. The gospel is the good news declaration that Jesus Christ has come into this world to fulfill and establish the purposes of God as the Messiah. He, yes, lived, died, and rose again. But this power of his erection is now changing the the trajectory of all that's going to be happening in our world. Now, for some people, if you declare good news to them, they might say, well, that's old news. That was 2,000 years ago. And I'm not sure if it's good news because you're talking about a judging God that's hellfire and brimstone. Maybe, wait a second, time out. That's true. It happened 2,000 years ago. But this event that has now come into our world, just like the event of it was good news about your daughter being able to be healed, the good news of an uh, employer coming into town, there is an event that has happened that's going to change the future of the way things are going to be. I hesitate to articulate this because it might be a little bit more detail needed than I can give. But do you realize that before Jesus Christ showed up on the scene, there was a lot happening in the Roman world. The old Roman Empire, Julius Caesar. What happened to Julius Caesar? 44 B.C. He was assassinated, right? By Brutus and another guy, right? Well, the two people that emerged to be able to fight off all this um, opposition was Octavius, who was his adopted son, and Antony, who was his close friend. So Octavius and Antony rose up, and they saw that time through for the Roman Empire. But then Octavius and Antony, they turned on one another as to who would have power. And it plunged the Roman Empire into a 13-year civil war. A 13-year civil war. Antony went to the Middle East and sort of got a lot of people following him there, including Israel, all right, modern day. And Octavius wasn't going to go down without a fight, and his navy finally defeated Antony in western Greece. Now, if you're back in Rome 
This civil war has gone on for 13 years. It would be news as to somebody has now defeated the other person. Now, what happened when Octavius defeated him there was Antony and Cleopatra, they went to Egypt, and they ended up committing suicide there. Octavius had a couple years in order to be able to restore some of the order to the great Roman Empire at that time. Herod the Great, Israel, he was a friend of Antony. He's now in trouble with this news. What's he going to do? He goes to Octavius, who took on the name Augustus, and he says, hey, listen, don't, don't, don't think about who I was a friend of. Think about how loyal of a friend I was. And I will be that loyal now to you. And so Octavius, Augustus, decided to allow him to continue to operate in that area. Herod the Great. That name should be known to you if you read the scriptures. All this was going on at the time, right? Power plays, struggles, who's in, who's out. There would have been good news, though, for those who, if you were a family member, definitely, of uh, Julius Caesar and Octavius, that's like, oh, good, now some order, and I'm going to be in the good stead. If you were part of the Anthony side, you're like, oh, no, now what's going to happen to us? But the good news that burst on the scene back that time was good news for the whole Roman Empire, in particular for those who are following. This is all going on. Now let's take the story of Jesus coming on the scene shortly thereafter that whole civil war. And the Apostle Paul, who was one of those religious zealots who would have probably drugged the person in that had the withered hand to set Jesus up for an attack. Jesus appears to him on a road when he's going to Damascus and he blinds him. Paul, who was Saul at that time, cries out, Who are you? Hey, it's Jesus. Why are you doing this? Oh my goodness, this Jesus is the Messiah. He is alive. He is standing before me in presence. Saul's life is transformed. He changed his name to Paul because Saul had some bad meanings back during that time in those circles if he was going to be doing God's work. So he changed it to Paul. He starts moving out into all the known Roman Empire to declare what? Good advice? No. To declare good news. Good news. The gospel. You take time in that moment where he stood trial, to listen to how he tells his story. And his story is not a self-centered story. There is a part that's very personal. I once was blind, but now I see. But his story moves to the grandeur of the third level, the grand story of what God's doing. 2,000 years, you bet. But Jesus' resurrection set in motion God redeeming and changing this world. And like we've talked about before, Jesus came the first time to establish his reign in the heart and lives of people. He's coming again to establish his geopolitical reign, if you will, over the peace of the whole world. We stand in between the ages, in between the time. Now, why do I go there? I want to talk to that newsboy's kid. He's now an adult. And said, what kind of gospel did you hear growing up? Was it just a fundamentalist kind of gospel of you're a sinner, accept Jesus, get saved, and now try to live by the rules? Is that what you were taught growing up? Because the gospel is a declaration barging into your life that says the King of kings and the Lord of lords 
has entered this world. He lived, he died, he was raised again. He's coming back. He sends his spirit to empower us right now. And we are living inside of this epic story. Who needs the gospel? Everyone needs the gospel, including the Muslims. They need the gospel. They believe Jesus was a prophet, but they don't believe he was God and Lord. Every single person you can think about needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the only way that they're going to hear the good news is if we show them that the God who came to transform this world is transforming our lives. And I'm here to love you, stick with you, see you through. And I want you to know him. Just like Hybel pulled soup. I'm not going to heaven without you. And soup over the course of time did what? I'm good to go. Their story, your story, his story. Begin to move it out and see what God does because the gospel is still the good news today. N.T. Wright just recently came out with a new book. He's a great teacher. I like the cover. It says this, Simply Good News, Why the Gospel is News and What Makes It Good. You pray with me. I pray, God, that we'll get a, hold, get a hold of this somehow. I don't know what that means for us as a church, but I pray it's a whole new dimension of living our lives for your purposes. Lord, I pray that we would be a people who steward well the gospel of your kingdom. Our world is in desperate need, whether that's a broken young person who's found face down in a bathtub, a young adult who's now stated they don't believe in you, God. Or whether that's somebody seated beside us this morning who has some witheredness in their life and they need to know that someone can make it whole. I pray, God, that you would undergird us with a sense of the gospel, the good news. And may it not be some barreling into someone else's life, but, Lord, may something compel us to change, to get out of our circle of comfort, out of our cocoon, step into the zones of the unknown, even if it's through a simple ask of just going out to encourage somebody. Lord, may we find ourselves about your kingdom's business. And may we call people to consider the story that you're writing in their life. That they may understand that you want to bring them into your grander story. And may we find ourselves over the next weeks and months and years amazed by how your spirit's at work in changing and redeeming lives, setting people free, creating beautiful stories out of brokenness around us. So Lord, give us sensitivity to your spirit. Lord, this week with our assignment of being able to articulate our own story well of what you're doing, help us with that. And Lord, we pray that you would build your church, not for our glory, but for your glory and for your story. God's people said, Amen. Amen. I want to encourage you, if you'd like to pray for anything, even if you're at a place in your life where you want God's story to enter in and be a part of your story, take the time after service to gather back by the cross. Someone even could share with you how that can happen in your own life.
But I invite the ushers to come at this time to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings as well as your connection card. If you want to share your story, just put story. Again, you're not standing up in front other than a piece of cardboard. Do so. We'll grab a hold of those. We'll continue on this journey again next week. Just walk across the room. Worship team.